You're listening to the Bulldog Hour, getting you inside the Wilson football program with weekly game previews, recaps, highlights, and interviews. Now, here are your hosts, Joe Mays and Justin Rapoff. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to the Bulldog Hour. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Mays. Uh, it is just me at the moment. Uh, I'm taking uh, episode 8-4 all by myself. Sorry about that. As we start our interview series with the coaches, got to sit down with four assistant coaches and head coach Doug Doms. Those will be two different broadcasts here uh, during this show. Um, it was, it was a lot of fun. Appreciate the coaches taking time to sit down with us. Uh, Justin and I interviewed them this past week. I'm going to play that for you momentarily. Just a couple, uh, housekeeping things we want to get out there. A lot of announcements and things like that, but also do want to thank the sponsors here of the Bulldog Hour. As always, the, the presented by sponsor is a uh, May sandwich shop. So appreciate my dad always stepping up and helping us here on the show. He's been here since day one very thankful for that uh, but he's not the only one and uh, we would like to uh, also thank the hop family and four anonymous donors have joined for the 2022 season here season eight of the bulldog hour we appreciate everyone that supported us in the past and if you would like to do sh- do so there are many ways you can do that not just uh, monetarily although that is greatly appreciated the sponsorships and advertising and the in-kind donations but also visit bulldoghour.com the website Great way to help the program uh, both here and also the football program. And I put a lot of information for the football program up on BulldogHour.com, not just current and present stuff, but also uh, past the history and heritage of the program. And as always, anything we post on social media, if you could just like and share that across Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, and even join us on Twitch and YouTube just to get the program out there. Uh, we will have another live show tomorrow at 8.30, our normal time, and that will be our senior player interviews. I did two groups of senior players. I missed out on a few guys, so I would like to collect them maybe after the scrimmage, uh, but they're not going to be part of that tomorrow. But I did talk to, I believe, nine senior players, and that will broadcast tomorrow, the 14th. And then the following Sunday, the 21st, as we get into these weekly episodes of the Bulldog Hour, we'll be back at 8.30 on the 21st, and that'll be our scrimmage recap and season preview. And as of right now, Paul Roberts is going to join us to talk about the Bulldogs themselves and also all 10 of their opponents that Wilson will be playing in the regular season. So, yep, show now, show tomorrow, and show next Sunday as we roll right into the 2022 Pennsylvania high school football season. I know we are all very, very excited. And uh, just as a refresher real quickly, here is the Wilson football schedule week by week. And here we go again. That first one, we're done. Heat week over. Started last Monday, the 8th. Tomorrow, training camp starts. Two or three days, August 15th. Bulldogs going to hit the field at 6.30 in the morning and have a few sessions and films and all that good stuff and this is when things really come together as the pads come on and then already this saturday a week from today 
down at Coatesville. The Bulldogs will be heading down there for a road scrimmage against the Red Raiders before the season kicks off in less than two weeks. Friday, August 26th at Gursky to take on Roman Catholic. The first meeting between the teams. And we'll talk more about that on the episode next Sunday, the 21st. All right, a couple other things to mention about that August 26th game against Roman Catholic. We will be uh, honoring longtime head athletic trainer Doc Moyer before the game at 6.30. And there will also be a post-game reception, open house style, at P.J. Wellahan's. You know, Doc retired from Wilson after the spring of 2020, but obviously we're in the midst of the beginning of the pandemic at that time. So nothing was able to be done to uh, honor Doc for his many, many years of service, 40 years of service to the Wilson community. So the school district is going to take the time to do that on Friday, August 26th. So hopefully all of you can get to the game early that night for the school honoring Doc and then also join everyone after the game at P.J. Willihan's to stop in. Other announcement, last one coming up, the Wilson Football Tradition Club's annual championship team event commemorating a past Bulldog championship football team. And this year focusing on the fall 2002 squad. And yes, that was the team that I was a member of. So I'm very excited about this one. Hoping to spread the word and get as many of my teammates to come back for this event, which will be on Friday, September 9th, which is Wilson's home game at Gursky against Martin Luther King. RSVPs are due on August by August 31st. So hopefully anyone that can attend, players, coaches, and the like, message me on uh, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, however you get a hold of me, or also email WilsonBulldogsFootball at gmail.com. So looking forward to welcoming back uh, my teammates, and anyone else on that 2002 squad. So please get that uh, RSVP in as soon as possible. We would love to have many of you guys return uh, for that event. It's always a good one. So, um, But that pretty much covers all the introductions and information that needs to be put out there. Uh, the program is still accepting flag football registrations for the, the Wilson students entering kindergarten and first grade. Uh, you can get that to Coach Doms. That information is also on bulldoghour.com. You can check that out. And I think it's about time we, uh, we can roll right into our interviews. So up first is going to be a group of five senior players. I'm going to talk to talk to them for about half an hour or so and then go into group two and get another half an hour in to get your full 60 minutes of uh, great Bulldog Hour interviews. So without further ado, here is our first group. All right, so welcome back to the Bulldog Hour. We are with our first set of senior players, five of you guys here. And maybe it sounds a little crazy to think you guys are seniors now. You're the leaders of this team. Well, let's find out who we're talking to. So just give me your your name and the position we'll see you playing this year on the field. We'll start with you. I'm Nathan Capitano, uh, number 43 at Safety. Uh, my name is Nick Racona, number 15. I play outside linebacker. My name is Rafael Fernandez. I'm number 11, and I play corner. My name is Tajir Anusiangu. I play uh, D-tackle, number 59. Uh, now I'm Zach Weitzel. I wear number 77, and you'll probably see me at center or offensive guard. 
All right. Well, thank you guys for introducing yourselves. And uh, we know we'll have another set of players in here. I usually try to talk to most of the seniors before the season and definitely all the seniors throughout the year. But appreciate you guys taking the time here after a, a heat week practice. And it is a hot one. Some years you guys uh, have been out there and it hasn't been too bad. But this definitely is a year where you're getting yourselves ready for full pads, which is uh, comes Monday. So. Oh, yeah, sorry. Change of plans. A little mistake. It's supposed to be the coaches. Um, senior players are tomorrow. So that's my bad. Sorry about that. Um, let's get to our four assistant coaches that we talked about or talked with just a few days ago. All right, welcome back to the Bulldog Hour. We're here with four of our Wilson football assistant coaches joining us. I believe everyone has been on the show before, last year, a couple years ago, maybe in the offseason. Jamie joined us to talk about running backs, uh, though I don't think that's what we'll be talking about here with us this evening. No. no. So, uh, Justin is here. We're going to run through uh, to some questions with you guys. Nothing, uh, nothing major, nothing to be nervous about, unless you want to be. That's up to you. Uh, so, starting off, for the uh, watching audience, give us your name and the position that you coach. You can go first, Jamie. Coach Jamie Sands, coaching defensive backs. Coach Brendan Doms, offensive line. Uh, Chase Godfrey, offensive line. Coach Mark Steinmeier, I coach the wide receivers. All right. Well, Tell us, how has uh, the summer workouts go? How was team camp? And how was this, uh, as we're nearing the end of heat week, how has everything gone in preparation for the season? Well, the defensive back position, things have been pretty competitive. We have returned a lot, though, this year. We have Cam coming back. Raph saw a lot of time. Eddie as well saw a significant amount of time. And Capitano has actually been on and off for us for about three years now. But I'll tell you what, there's a lot of talent back there. And we have probably eight or ten guys that can play varsity football for us. So we'll see We'll see how it pans out here when we start putting the pads on and where the pieces finally settle into. So it's been going pretty competitive. Offensive line, probably the same way. We've got some real good depth there. Probably we're running right now two lines we can get through. We had Dendel returning, Klein's back, Hop's back, and then we knew Kurzweig was going to come back and compete. And then there's still other two other positions that – as we've gone through camp, some people have risen to the challenge and some people are making our jobs a little bit easy. Uh, I mean, probably this is probably going to be one of our more talented offensive line groups like, as of this point. I mean, I mean, we still haven't been full pads and we still haven't had a real live action look yet. But um, it's probably one of the more talented groups that we've had thus far that we've had since I've been on staff. Um, so we're fortunate there. We definitely have some guys of some real size, um, which we have not had in, in years past. Um, and definitely some guys that just have some uh, some mental toughness, um, which is always makes a lot of things a lot easier when you have guys that like to hit and like to grind. So from a, a receiver standpoint, we have uh, a good mix of uh, young and old. Uh, we have Cam returning, uh, and Kai Cooper will be the two seniors. Um, and then we're going to bring back uh, Austin Dalukevich and uh, uh, as a junior, uh, we have... Uh, uh, Eddie Case is a junior. We have some uh, Jackson Wagner who's going to play a role inside for us. Uh, kids have been working very, very hard, uh, know the concepts, know uh, what their responsibilities are. So uh, from that standpoint, we had a great camp. They worked their butts off. I uh, got lots of lots of reps, and uh, we got better. We definitely got better at camp, and uh, 
things are things are going to be good. Excellent. Good to hear. Uh, so before we talk about uh, this season anymore, let's just quickly look back at last year. It was an interesting season uh, for you guys. We talked to the players about it yesterday, but looking back on the, the ups and downs, finishing strong, really strong, uh, what was your biggest takeaway from, from that group, from the season as a whole? Is there anything that you could apply to 2022 or you would like to see hold over into the 2022 season? Well, honestly, I think we have to, uh, I think what we found last year was uh, we needed to play to our strength offensively. And, uh, you know, our strength, we, we, we determined was, was running the football with Jaden and, and Brad and those guys and, and doing enough things uh, in the passing game to keep people honest. But uh, going into this year, uh, we're going to have to take advantage of, of the people that we have and what skill set they give us, put those kids in the best positions to make plays. And, uh, and just go out and make the plays, uh, make the routine catches, uh, you know, move sticks uh, when we need to move sticks and when we have the opportunity to hit big plays, you know, hit big plays. The two is getting that message across and getting the kids to buy into what we're doing. I think maybe a little bit early on, there was a little bit of doubt and hesitation sometimes with this is really working. And then, like we said, seeing what works best for us adapting our offense, adapting the defense to meet what our kids are capable of doing and not trying to, what, fit a square peg into a round hole. I mean, secondarily, uh, you know, last year going up against Central York was a very good challenge for the secondary. And to see Raf step up the way he did when Cam went out in the first quarter was nice. But also when you look at the patience and the, and the demand of what we do with some of the stuff we do in the secondary, these kids are making a lot of their own decisions, you know, with the guidance of the coaches. So it was really great to see the kids be able to run with a game plan, stick with it, not panic, even though you might be up against a really good athlete, a good coaching staff in Central York. You know, and, and throughout the playoffs, I thought they did a great job of just staying patient, not panicking, trusting the, trusting the coaching and the system and their teammates to do what they need to do. So it was really fun to be part of and, and watch the kids come together like that. Yeah, it was fun last year. Like, there were some ups and downs, especially early on. And you could have packed it in, but to see the way they held it together and then really got things rolling later in the season was really a testimony to the team, I guess. Um, and, 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 and to the head coach. Yeah. Uh, you know, the head coach, the kids rally around the head coach. I mean, Doug is, you know, he's a legendary coach uh, for a reason. And, you know, he told us guys, we need to we need to hold kids accountable. We need to put the put the axe to the stone, so to speak, and um, you know hold the child, hold the kids accountable. And, and the kids, for the most part, responded to it. So they could have packed it in, like you said, but you know thanks to you know the guidance of, of a guy who's been doing this for I don't know what is it 47 years, uh, you know for a long long time, and uh, the kids you know. They, they they buy they buy into what uh, what we're doing and what we tell them. Forty-seven. That's a good number to pull out there. Is it? Was it forty-seven? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Good job. <laughs> That's <so disappointing. laughs> you get extra cookie of films or Thank a you. bunch of pizza. You can grab. No, I'm not allowed to get any of that. <laughs> Ernie doesn't let me. Although when he gets Beckett's, you want to slide yeah. in there. <laughs> Do you guys anticipate then uh, both offensively and defensively an identity shift in terms of play calling and execution based on 
the players you have returning, or we're going to see more of the same? What, what does it feel like right now? I really just hope that going into the season that we have a, a, a clear image of what Wilson football is going to be for this upcoming season. Um, looking back to last year, kind of felt like we, we were going in a couple of different directions. Um, so hopefully this year, because I feel pretty good about this offensive line group that we have. We have guys meshing. We have, you know, uh, Dindo coming up, a multi-year player for us, Logan Kurzweil, who has a real motor on him. We have a couple other guys that truly just have have some tenacity to them. Um, and that, and that helps out a lot. It, it writes a lot of wrongs when you have guys that don't mind getting their nose dirty. So I really hope that this year we can you know, control the line of scrimmage because when you get six inches of press or you can give the quarterback three, four seconds to sit back there and set his feet, it writes a lot of wrongs and allows other guys to get in position to make big plays. So we talk to the kids always about the tradition at Wilson of having uh, one-year players step up senior year. There always seems to be a couple of them on the team that – uh, maybe were overshadowed in the past, but when they had their chance to shine, they, they stepped up their, their senior year. Do you guys have any in your position group that, you know, maybe the, the, the fans and community aren't aware of right now, but you think could make a big name for themselves uh, this year? Yeah, I mean, uh, from a receiver standpoint, you know, uh, Makai Cooper came over to us a year ago uh, from Muhlenberg. And he's quarterback there. We moved him to wideout. Um, he has shown a lot of growth. Uh, since his time uh, with us, he's he's gotten better. He's gotten more disciplined uh, with his with his routes, uh, understanding the concepts that that, that we're doing. So, uh, Makai is a kid uh, from from our standpoint uh, who, who's going to help us out this year. Offensive line wise, I think we're probably going to be pretty young. Um, probably Hop's going to start. He's the returning senior that played last year, so know that name a little bit. I think other than that, it's probably going to be a lot of juniors and even maybe one or two sophomores starting to see on the offensive line. So no real seniors there. Defensively, though, I'd say like Isaiah Cassius, um, get a little bit of Taj. Mm-hmm. I'm try to say his last name. Sorry, Taj. <laughs> um, and then you got like Nick Weitzel over there at a defensive end. So I think the defensive side of the line is where you're going to have those seniors that kind of rise up for a one-year player. Okay. I mean, as secondary goes, I returned four guys that seen significant right. time. Yeah. So, but there are some guys that are lurking and waiting, and and that's the thing about six eight football. If you think you're just going to get through with four starters, you're probably going to be uh, not happy because you're going to have to have somebody step up at some time. You know, Cleveland's been doing a nice job for me for three years now. I think he's ready to take that step. You know, Makai's another guy where his understanding of the game is very good. It's one of the strongest minds back there in the secondary. So he'll be if he gets an opportunity, I'm gonna enjoy watching him play. You know, at the secondary, you know, safety position, I should say I still have, you know, I got a young guy, Jonah, coming up. He's got a lot of ability. I got Chris that's coming up, a lot of ability. Um, but for this year I even have Tommy Hutzinger ready to go. I got Woodsy, he can play. I mean, you're talking about guys that know the game of football, that understand how they fit fit and they can do whatever they need to do and step up. Even MJ's in that mix. I mean, there's just, I'm telling you, I got 10 guys that, depending on what the task is at the hand and what the offense wants to do, where are their strengths, where are their weaknesses, you know, like, you know, Roman Catholic has a very good receiver, you know, like, there's always matchups that you have to be aware of. So it'd be really interesting to see, one, who gets the opportunity against who and what we're going to do, depending on what scheme they're running. So, I mean, there's so many variables there, but it's, it's always fun to see how it works out and you can't help but cheer for these kids when they get their opportunity to step up for us. You're very happy with your 
defensive backfield depth. Okay, so I'm a defensive coach, and you said I, I, I'm happy with my, my, my secondary. <laughs> yeah, that, that's one thing I think as a defensive coach, you, you always have a chip on your shoulder. The only time you're happy is after the 48 minutes have played, you know, and you, you have a good game. And otherwise, I think you, you always uh, have a chip on your shoulder. But as for where we're at right now without hitting, you know, I'll take what I got. I got them. So. so sounds like there's a lot of good competition going on. I know you, some of you mentioned that earlier on, which that also can help, you know, like, and like you said, pads go on next week. So that can throw a wrench in that competition a little bit. But uh, it's good to have that intensity as we go on. And uh, Jamie, as you kind of mentioned, like the chip on your shoulder, uh, as we look forward to the upcoming season now, uh, is there a game you were most looking forward to? You can frame that however you want. I mean, what are some of the games on the schedule? As, as coaches, it's really hard to get ahead of the one that's right in front of you. Like you can't look ahead because when you look ahead, that's when somebody jumps up and gets you. Um, our focus right now is on Roman uh, Catholic. So, you know, we'll take care of that. We'll play that game and then our eyes will go to, to the next opponent. Um, just kind of the way you have to do it. I think as a coach, you know, you can think about, you know, people in positions, you know, down the road against other people, but until you actually get a chance to see the other people on film, we don't, we don't have the opportunity to scout multiple weeks in advance. You know, we don't have a whole scouting staff to do that. So we kind of have to take it one week at a time. That, to be clear, that's the expected answer, but we have to ask. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you'll be happy to know, I talked to nine players yesterday, and they all pointed to Roman Catholic. Um, for obvious reason of being the first game, but also a big new opponent. And obviously they also wanted to talk about Mifflin because Wilson Mifflin, and uh, they wanted to speak a little bit about the change in uh, venue and the day and time because all that kind of got thrown at you guys a couple months ago. Everyone was expecting it to be at Gursky on a Friday, and now we're in Shillington on a Saturday afternoon. So a little bit of a different uh, beast there, but... Yeah, Roman Catholic is the one that, that jumped out just because of everything surrounding it. It's a season opener, and it's a big-time opponent that, that the Bulldogs have never played before. Uh, what, what have you seen for Roman Catholic? I say not only that, but they've got the wide receiver that's going to test Jamie's secondary. They've got Lions at a defensive end that's going to test what our offensive line can do. They've got their four-star left tackle that's committed to Penn State or something, too, that's going to test what our defensive line can do. So there's enough athletes and players that they've got there that hopefully after that game, we know where we are. We know what our team is. We know what our identity is. Or we're going to know what we have to change and fix. So it's a great first test. And it should be a nice little war for 48 minutes. Yeah, yeah we're looking forward to it. It's going to be a huge game to kick off the season. Um, we're just about, uh, what, two weeks away. From, by the time this airs, we'll be under two weeks. So it's coming quickly. Yeah, I mean, Roman Catholic loses ba basically three offensive linemen. That's it on their offense. Every specialist player is pretty much back. Tailback, both wide receivers, tight end, you name it. They, their specialists are back. And, you know, you, obviously you hear stuff, but until you see it on tape, that that's their first scrimmage, I think it would be inappropriate to draw any conclusions. But, uh, you know, they're going to be a formidable opponent for sure. I mean, these are the games that you love, right? I mean, it's Wilson, historically, it's a, it's a quality program. 
Uh, I mean, you can ask anyone, and that's true. And Roman Catholic, historically, is a, is a quality program. So, I mean, these are the games you get really excited about. You know, when you have two quality teams facing each other week one, it's great. Because uh, you, you do. You have, like, we think we're good. I'm sure they think that they're great. Um, but we'll find out. And we're going to walk away from that with a lot of things that we've done wrong. And I'm sure the same will be uh, same would be true for them as well. Um, we're just hoping that we can wake up Saturday morning 1-0. That's a lot better than 0-1. And, and, uh, and go from there. How do you feel that coaching high school, high school football has changed for you since you started coaching? Even just in the last few years, I know Jake's your, and this is your fourth, four with the fourth year. Mm-hmm. How have you seen things change? Um, it could be fundamentals, it could be skills, it could be uh, other, you know, coaching in general. What is the, what has changed for you guys over the last few years? Anything stand out? Well, from a defensive side. You don't see two formations all game. You see multiple personnel packages. You probably see six or seven formations with different shifts. Um, and everyone's trying to push the rules. You know, that's why you have RPOs. So, you know, and, and sometimes in some cases, I actually feel for the, the officials because they have so many rules to know now. And every offensive coach is trying to push those rules as well. So there, there's a there's a lot more teaching going on pre-snap than I'd ever done before. It was always post-snap, the coaching, when I first started. Now everything's pre-snap because of all the different formations, all the different personnel. If you run trips with a D1 receiver to the trips, that's different than running them to the single. You know, you got to be able to adjust to that. If they motion, say, from two, two receivers to three receivers, in which guy are they motioning? The big guy or the, you know, like, that's stuff that all these kids now need to know. You know, when I played, it was like, okay, I'm going to line up, and I'm just going to hit you. You know, like, and there were some smart coaches back then that would make you think for sure, but the overall thinking week to week, it's a new challenge every week for sure. You know, so I think the offensive coaches have really changed the game and, and made it a lot more challenging for defenses for sure. Uh, I think, I mean, the, the big thing is coming out of COVID, um, you know, a lot, there's a greater expectation the kids are doing work at home. Um, you know, and when we were all in high school, uh, you know, well, watching film was something you did at school. Um, same thing for, for college, you, know, you, you couldn't really watch it at home. Um, and now we're at a point now where kids have access to, to, you know, to our huddle account. Um, so the, our expectations that they're coming to, uh, coming to practice with maybe just a little bit more knowledge, a little bit more understanding and, they can watch themselves play because a lot of mistakes that kids make early on, I mean, they're pretty, when you're watching yourself, they're pretty egregious um, and they're pretty obvious. Um, so it's nice that we can hold kids accountable in that way. That way we can spend the time, the limited time that we have together, uh, instead of looking backwards, we can try to work, work forward um, in that in that regard. I mean, I think the technology side of it, just like an offshoot of COVID, it's, you can do any, all these virtual conferences that you can hear California line coaches talking. The, there's the cool of the offensive line coaches. So you can listen to like a Bob Wiley from like the Cleveland Browns. You can hear what he, his philosophies are. You just sit in front of your computer and you can hear it. So the dissemination of information is so much more. And then even our drone to film practices. Like you can just throw a drone up and you, the offensive line can't hide from that. So it's so much easier for even for us to coach and say, oh, they're stepping under themselves. So the very next day of practice, there's a drill, so they're not stepping under themselves anymore. It makes tailoring your drills almost instantaneous.
routines from one day to the next. Last one, you got anything else to add? Yeah, good. All right, three though, man. All right, so uh, for the last one, what would your message to the fans and community be prior to the start of 2020? Come out and support. Uh, I mean, there's nothing better than when Gursky Stadium is packed with, with fans and, and spectators. It's a, it's a great environment. Um, I've, I've been fortunate enough to coach in a lot of different places, and you, know, you don't necessarily always have the community support. Um, that's the cool thing about Wilson, and I've never been anywhere else. And I and I joke with the other guys on the staff, like I've never been anywhere else where like uh, these guys post pictures of like kids seeing your photo next to their grandfather's senior photo playing at Wilson. That's awesome. Um, so having the community support's huge, but especially you know, when we have Roman Week One, I really hope that we, you know I'm up in the box and I can look down on, on packed bleachers because um, it's cool. It's a special thing that happens here in Westlawn. I don't know, as a coach, the biggest thing I like year for year is when you see the kids' personalities come out on the field. Because every year, yeah, I mean, we have some consistencies with the staff being here, Doug being here for all these years and doing a great job. But it's still the kids' personalities coming out on the field. And every year is different. And, you know, I guess that, that makes it ultra special every year because every time it's going to be different and how the kids take the ownership on and, and grow as young men. So it's always fun to see kids bring out their own personalities on the field. Anything else anyone wanted to add? I said it. Yeah. It's great. All right. Well, we look forward to watching your team this year out on the field. Appreciate you taking the time with us to talk as the season gets underway. You know, when this airs, you'll be uh, ready to roll right into uh, your two-a-days, three-days training camp, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, uh, less than two weeks away from that game against Roman Catholic, which will be youth night. So it's great to kick off the season with uh, all the players that you may be seeing in the years to come. So, again, thank you guys, and best of luck this season. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Awesome. Thank you. Two cheese steaks and Josh. <laughs> <laughs> now he's got to edit it. All right. So thank you to the assistant coaches for sitting down and talking with Justin and I a couple days ago. Hopefully you all enjoyed that. And I hope you enjoyed that little sneak preview of the uh, of the players because I completely messed that up. So sorry about that. Uh, but we're going to move right on here and get to head coach Doug Dobbs' interview now. All right, well... Coach Dom's joining the Bulldog Hour now for our annual preseason head coach interview. Doug, thanks for joining us. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Well, you've been making the circuit already. I think I've seen you pop up with uh, with Eastern PA football with Bruce, and uh, you were a couple other places. A lot of your coaches and players have been everywhere. Uh, a lot of exposure for you guys uh so far in this preseason, and we're happy to contribute to that, but what do you think about everyone tracking you down already and wanting to uh, talk about the Bulldogs? Well, I think that a lot of that has to do with the L.L. Burks merger, because now all of a sudden, I mean, before it was L.L. and Wilson, and now all of a sudden it's L.L. and everybody, so since we're the, the old standby, they, they talk to us, because we're the ones that are going to see both sides of the coin for the most part. But, you know, it's it's good for the kids. The kids enjoy the, you know, the notoriety that comes with all the interviews and everything. 
for me, you know, I can care less. <laughs> You'll talk to whoever, but yeah, if, if, if they don't ask, that's okay. That's too. correct. Right? Don't ask, don't tell. So, well, <laughs> let's start with the Birch murder right off the top. We've been talking about it for years. I think it came out first in January 2018, and I think yeah, we've asked you right. every year about it since, and now it's here. It's happened, like you said, not too much of a huge impact for Wilson, uh, still in Section 1, get to play with rival Reading again as part of a, a league matchup. But outside of that, not huge changes. But what do you think about for the other sections, the other Berks teams, uh, and the merger as a whole from a non-Wilson perspective? Are you in favor? Do you like it? I was in favor of it all along because I, I think whatever's best for football, you know, high school football, when you look at it, you have teams like Kutztown that was forfeiting some games because of low numbers and things. I mean, Kutztown can't compete with Berks Catholic or couldn't at least yet. But now they're going to be a, get an opportunity to play against other schools that are very similar to them in size and numbers. And so they can be competitive every week. I mean, nobody learns anything when you win 60 to nothing, the winner or the loser. And it's very hard to get your kids, you know, to play the game when you're getting pounded like that each week. So I think, you know, on one hand, there's going to be a lot more parity and, you know, schools are going to get a lot better turnout as a result. And then on the other hand, I think there's, because of the parity, uh, you know, there were some years in, in Berks County where it was, why well, missing Berks Catholic? And the rest of their schedule was pretty easy. It was... Exeter Mifflin, and the rest of their schedule is pretty easy, and now they're not going to have that anymore. They're going to have five or six games. Every, every section is going to have five or six games that you know, they better be ready for. Maybe more, but they better be ready. So there's going to be a lot of parity and a lot more tough games, which if you can weather the storm is going to make you a better football team at the end of the year. Yeah, those four Burks teams you just mentioned are playing in the two sections that the media is pointing out as being a real, real uh, Tough out. Every week it's a tough game. Mifflin and Exeter will be in Section 2 uh, with the likes of Manheim Central, uh, Warwick, and in Section 4 we get the Wyoming um, uh, Burks Catholic reunited after being off for the last couple right. of years, and, but they're going to be playing some great team. Valley, I think, is in 4. And uh, Calico. Oh, Calico. And Lambert-Strasburg. Um, yeah, so it's going to be a very interesting to see how the Burks teams fare. I know um, Mike Drago wrote an article about if it had happened last year, would Burks have swept all five seconds? Right. Yeah. Uh, so missed the one, I think. I did. Uh, I think it might have been. Yeah, yeah. But it showed um, how, like you said, the parity that's coming and how every team now in Burks throughout has an opportunity to be playing meaningful games and competitive games. And that's only good for the sport. It's going to be really hard to sweep your league. You know, I would really much anticipate there being a lot of, I mean, even as it was in the LL, we had a lot of tri-champions or co-champions, and I think we're going to see that because A is going to be B, B is going to be C, and C is going to be A. Or, you know, all kinds of, you know, you have four or five teams that are all very competitive. Like said, that may not be what individual schools want to see. You know, everybody wants to win that championship. Sure. How right. But from the bigger picture, I mean, I feel like that would be a sign of success. You know, well, that would show that we're getting games where teams can actually compete with other teams. And, you know, from when, an enrollment of 70, you know, to an enrollment of 500. And when you, when you have those kind of games week in and week out, the fans, I mean, nobody wants to sit and watch a blowout. It's boring, you know. By, by halftime, everybody's, you know, going, well, boy, when the games are coming down to the last couple minutes of the, of the game, 
you know, those are exciting. And then everybody's riveted and you get a bigger attendance and you know it's just good for high school football. So we had one of your assistants just before this number drop uh, your years on staff uh, out of thin air he was able to pull it out 47th year on staff at wilson this is your 17th as head coach uh got a, a lot of big numbers and, and wins at uh, head and also on staff uh, i know you don't like to focus on them so you let us do that we always take care of that for you <laughs> you guys like stats so we love, I love um, but but let's before we look more at 2022, let's just briefly talk about last year. It was a unique year uh, for, for Wilson, for you guys. Things started out a little bit rough, a little bit something that you've been unaccustomed to um, after the first five weeks in that two and three. But the team really rallied, and uh, you got ended up having a fantastic season, just coming up just short in the district championship game. Uh, what was your what's your biggest takeaway from from last year, or is there something that you can apply or you'd like to see apply to 2022? Well, the when you're at that point in the season, you know, you can very easily implode. You know, and, and no, no matter who you are, you're on the verge of that. And uh, basically, um, I told the kids, things aren't going to change, but I'm not going to be as pleasant. Uh, I told the coaches, don't point any fingers, just, you know, get that much more attentive to detail. And... Uh, Understand that, you know, some of those games were a result of some, you know, I mean, we, we didn't have our starting quarterback for Exeter. We lost our both running backs in the Exeter game. We didn't have a running back. You know, we were down to our third string running back for Manheim Central. So there was some, you know, things there that went against us in terms of injury. But, you know, you got to rally everybody together. And, you know, I said, listen, you know, we've been doing this long enough. We know what we do works. Let's just get a little bit more attentive to every detail so as the kids would tell you the next couple of weeks i was not a pleasant coach at practice every single play when we were in team or in drills i was on somebody because we weren't going to accept the mediocrity we weren't going to accept the bad step the bad hand placement the mental mistake whatever and i spread the wealth make sure everybody got ripped but uh that, that's a level of intensity in practice. It was exhausting for me because there was no playoff. I was just picking somebody different. I made sure I spread the wealth and somebody different. But I think it showed the kids that attention to detail is our points if you want to win. You know, it's the difference in a close game. So I just think we remember some of the post-game interviews with some of the players at that midseason when things when the tide started to turn and they were keenly aware of the attention to detail that the coaches had now. Uh, maybe, even, like, like you said, not that they weren't paying attention to detail, but just ramped it up even more. And accountability came up a number of times in those, uh, in those interviews with the players. Yeah. And, and it, it worked out. I mean, you know, and, but our kids believe, and that's huge. They believe if they do what we tell them to do, and they do it correctly, they were going to win. And, uh, so it turned around. It's very unusual. I mean, I'm sure there are people in the stands calling for my head. You know, what the heck's Tom's doing, you know? You can go 9-1 and there still will be it's still people be sitting up there. <laughs> Luckily, my wife is very tuned out to whatever kind of stand says. Uh, yeah, well, obviously the message was well received. After starting 2-3, and three, you won seven, seven in a row, including upsets in the playoffs, at least by seeding the first one against York uh, with an electric playmaker. Um, you were able to win that game and then the huge upset against Central York, which you, you talk about 
that attention to detail matters in close games. And we saw it, and I think that was game five, the loss to Manheim Central was a close game. But then you turn around, you know, two months later, and you're on the road in the playoffs against one of the best quarterback in the state, and you're able to uh, hold them to 11 points and get that upset victory to go to the district championship game. So obviously uh, what you and the coaching staff and then the players bought into uh, worked wonders. So this year, besides um, besides our graduation losses, are there any new faces on the coaching staff or other losses from the program, kids that didn't come out? Is there anything um, that's changed um, for you this year in 2022? Um, Alex Twyford, who helped with our tight ends last year, is not back because his job change doesn't allow his hours changed. You know, before he was working like 5 to 2, and now I think he's working 9 to 5 or 8 to 4.30 or something. So uh, he's not back, but other than that, the entire staff's back intact, which I'm very appreciative of because, you know, works like a well-oiled machine. Right. All right. Uh, Players-wise, uh, no. Graduation losses. Other graduation players. losses, obviously, you know, but uh, no new faces other than the kids that have been in the program, and we're just, you know, trying to ramp it up a little bit, get ready for it. I know last night you were in uh, a meeting, and I know you have meetings like this uh, all year for uh, league and PIAA. Are there any big changes coming that you think the, the fans and community should be aware of that they're not questioning why an official called this or why the coaches can't do this? Probably the biggest change that they're going to notice is you now, if the quarterback's out of the box, he can throw it away, just like he can in college at the pros. Oh. Well, that's that brand new. Change. Yeah, that's a big change. Uh, he has to be out of the box. The ball has to go across the line of scrimmage, just like you know, the college. Uh, the officials trying to call that. That'll be interesting. We had a couple of interesting calls last year on. on those. <laughs> yeah. Uh, are you happy about that change? Is that a good uh, one? No, right? not really. Because what's going to happen now is you've got a quarterback running for his life, and instead of taking a sack, he's just going to throw the ball, and you're right back to square one again. They, the, the NFHS argument was protect, you know, it's all about safety. You know, quarterback's running for his life, well, then go down. You know, that was my thought. You know, fewer, but, fewer hits and things, yeah, right? But that's what, that's what they're looking at, so. Yeah, that's a big change. That's, that's a big change. Yeah. That's, a, that's, that's the only major one. There's a bunch of little subtle ones that the fans aren't going to notice. Uh, you know, number zero is now a legal number. Uh, yes. Wilson's not getting those, right? No, we're not getting yeah. See? You can't have a doubles, doubles here. You can only be a singles problem. Baby steps. And it's an eligible number. It's an eligible number. I know they changed that in college, what, two or three years ago. Yeah. Joey uh, loves the numbers. I need that on TV. <laughs> I can't stand it. Only, only thing that he loves more is double zero. Yeah, but, <laughs> hey, that's, that's not even possible. Yeah. But, Wilson, no, no zero, at least for now. Maybe yeah. the next iteration of Jersey. I don't know if yeah. that's something Probably. Ben will entertain. I, I don't like it, so that's my vote. Uh, I know that carries a ton of weight in this thing. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, zero is not my thing. So, well, before we talk more about the schedule, then, let's focus on the, the aesthetics there. Uh, the helmet's always a big topic of discussion, and you guys have been uh, cycling through a few different designs. And this year... Uh, there will be no Bulldog on it again, which I know is a point of contention with a few of the uh, longtime fans of the program. 
Uh, we got the real long time fan. No, right. If you go he, back far enough, there wasn't a moment. There was nothing, and then it was the, the one w that will be on your one side. The, the W in the football, which came back in 2019 for the 75th anniversary year uh, celebration. Uh, it's been off and on a couple of times, but the biggest change is the one side will have the script word Bulldog right. on it, uh, which I don't believe there's ever been a word as the main logo on one of the sides. Uh, how did that process come about? Is that something that Coach Bender approached you? Do you let the players decide? How does that design process happen? Well, Coach Bender always has ideas that I have to shoot down. You know, we'd look like Oregon if he, if he had his way. Because uh, I'm a little bit of a... See, Joey's all on board with that. Well, I shouldn't say that. He's I like, all on board with that idea. But when you, if you were to apply it to Wilson, I think right. you, uh, you would name well, it. Well, the only thing I said is if you remember when Oregon played for the national championship, the helmet that they had in the national championship game, that, I said, if we could get that, I'd do it. That's $270 paint job per helmet. Per helmet. Yeah. Well, you know, Justin and I always say, when we win the lottery, it's an opportunity for Wilson uh, Athletics and Extracurriculars to really look good. Uh, we can pump in some of that, 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 that Powerball money. So. Yeah. I didn't win a billion dollars. No, it didn't, you did not. So. You know, if you won that 1.3 and took it in a lump sum, you only got 400 million. I think I, I, think I can make, I think I can find some room for uh, <laughs> whatever numbers you want. <laughs> um, now, we always talk to the kids, this is your team. All right, so what we did was we decided, okay, within reason, let's give them a little bit because we've gone through, you know, several modifications on the helmet. So we said, okay, what do you want on the helmet? Here's your, here's your options. You can have the script. You can have the bulldog. You can have the football with the W in it. You know, what do you want? And they, as a team, decided they wanted the script of bulldog and then the W in the helmet. So, uh it's their ownership. It's their team, you know. And uh, you know, I mean, we don't want to wrinkle too far. We're not going to stray too far, all right. But you know, that part, you know, I can live with. So interesting. Yeah, we had talked to Coach Wolver about it a few weeks ago when he was on the show, and it was just insightful because I get a lot of people when post pictures and you don't see the bulldog, people want to know what's going on. Right. But I think it's great that you let the uh, the play. You give players options that. that like you said, it's their team. What their you ownership. You give them ownership. You yeah. tell them all the time when you're playing, it's your game, it's your team, it's your season. Take ownership. So give them a little, a little bit of say that way. So the schedule, the way the schedule shapes up this year, uh, you rotate home and away games, so you don't have any home stands or, or road trips to, to worry about. Uh, but week one is at home at Gursky, and that's the Roman Catholic game. That's the, the biggest one I think people are talking about because it's so new. It's a new opponent. Uh, start the new season. It's youth night, and we know that they are coming in with, uh, uh, on paper, a loaded roster. They've got a lot of big-time recruits uh, for, in the college ranks, and they pose an interesting. Uh, they pose an interesting opponent. Uh, well, what what have you guys been studying about Roman Catholic, or what's jumped off the page about them for your uh, your debut game this year? Well, they obviously have an extremely talented receiver consider one of the top receiver recruits in the country. Uh, they have an extremely talented defensive end that also plays tight end. Uh, so, I mean, we haven't put a game plan together yet. We've watched whatever film we can get on YouTube and things like that on them. And obviously, when you're playing a team that has that kind of talent, the name of the game is figure out what you want to stop because you can't stop everything. So, you know, if we decide we're going to make sure that you know, the receiver is not a plague, playing a part of it, then, well, then we're giving up something else. But 
uh, you have to kind of choose your poison. So, you know, when, when it comes down to it, you know, between the offensive staff, the defensive staff, and myself, uh, we'll settle in on a game plan and uh, give it our best shot. Not too many changes to the schedule. You still have Central Dolphin. That'll be week two uh, on the road. Then uh, Martin Luther King is coming back uh, for that game here. That's the second home game. That's Friday the 9th. Um, you know the opponent now since you got to play them last year. But then, as uh, we mentioned earlier, Reading back on the schedule because of the Burks uh, LL merger. You get to go play uh, at their place to start first time. The Red Knights and the Bulldogs will have played in 10 years. Uh, what does it mean to the two programs to be, be able to play each other again? I think our kids will get excited about it because Reading Wilson has always been a bit of a rivalry in, in a lot of sports. I mean, uh, 15 years ago, it's big time rivalry in football. Maybe it might be 20, I don't know, the years all blended. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, I think they hired uh, from within a guy that went there, played there, works there. So I think he's going to have a pretty good handle on the kids, you know, and how to get them motivated. So um, I think it's, you know, hopefully it's going to develop into a nice rivalry again. But uh, as anything, there's growing pains when you're a first year coach. So. Yeah, it was uh, the Reading Wilson was big time uh, when I was on the team, which is unfortunately closing in on 20 years ago. Yeah, I guess it is. So, um, <laughs> yeah, that was big 2000 to 2003, I think, right. like before. Those were huge matchups. And we're going to talk a little bit more about those in a little bit. Uh, let's talk about the Tradition Club reunion event that will be during the Martin Luther King game on Friday the night. But after the game at Reading on the 16th, you come back home to play Cedar Crest on the 23rd. And then the interesting one, besides Roman Catholic that everyone's talking about, is Mifflin. Not just because Wilson hasn't been able to beat them the last two years, but the biggest thing was it's not at Wilson like it was supposed to be, right. and it's not on a Friday night, it's on a Saturday afternoon. So what was the decision? Who made the decision to flip-flop the game? Is that something that the schools have to agree on? And when it was moved, did you know it was going to be moved to a Saturday? The decision wasn't made by that was the league scheduler. When they Burks and LL and they realigned everything, it's just the way it worked. You know, that's neither here nor there. The Saturday afternoon, we're not real happy about. Jeff Lang isn't real happy about. That's what I've heard. You know, it's like it wouldn't happen here. Friday night's football. As far as I was concerned, why don't they just play their soccer games on Saturday? They get a much better crowd. It's their big homecoming and everything, but. Some people might like it, you know, because they like Saturday afternoon football. But uh, I mean, it harkens back to games played before the lights were. Yeah, but then we're back to a Friday night, so now you have a short week. Right. You know, I think we come back to Hempfield after them. Yep. So it's you know not something that we really wanted, but you know, it's the home team's decision, not a, the away team has no say. Well, like you said, the coaching staff for Midland. Not exactly pleased that that's the way it shook out right. either. It sounds like that was more of an administration decision than it was a football perspective decision. But um, neither here nor I think the TV rights wanted it or something. Sure. That's big of the news right now. Why not? Um, just make sure we get some of that money. <laughs> um, so you said Hempfield the next week. They're trending in the right direction. Oh, well, they're definitely trending. I mean, you know, George Egger cut his teeth here with us, their head coach. Uh, he got it. He hired a very nice staff, and they're a big school with a lot of athletes. So they're moving in the right direction. They're going to be tough. 
that's been one of the things Justin and I have said. Maybe it hasn't been on the show, but in private, we always said they're the LL Sleepy Giant. We, we've oh, yeah. called him the Sleepy Giant for years because he's a massive school. Yeah. And Good athletes. There. They, they're, yeah, you look, they compete in every sport. Yeah, you know, every sport in districts you see they're there, you know. So you know the talent's there. Yeah. When it's not like they've been bad on the football field, no. they've just been average above average right. to good. They right. just haven't been able to break through. It's been Wilson and, and Township have been the big ones for the past. I think only Wilson and Township have won since Reading last split with McCaskey in 2003. It's been Wilson and, and Township. That's it. But where's Hempfield in there? And I think, yeah, I think George. Well, I think uh, they're going to have the LB back. Yeah, he seems to have them. Turned yeah. Over. And like I said, he has a nice staff. He picked up a coach, a couple of coaches from F&M. Uh, his dad helps. He picked up some guys that he's coached before. And he, I mean, George played for Evans at Manning Township, so he has a nice understanding of what they do. Uh, he played at F&M, has a nice understanding there. He coached with us for several years, so, he has, you know, so he's getting a nice blend of everything, how to go about it, put his own you know, stamp on it. Yeah, so that game is uh, October 7th, I guess it would be. Uh, the trip down to Penn Manor then, uh, back to Millersville, that's the... the the quirkiness of the realignment, uh, two straight years at Penn Manor. Uh, Justin and I are okay with that because we love the Sugar Bowl. So uh, Justin missed the trip last year. So uh, sit down. Uh, McCaskey will return here. Uh, another good thing. We don't have to go to McCaskey for two years in a row. Play on grass. Uh, play on grass, right. So uh, uh, that's good. And have, the <laughs> have the team not be on the field with you yet. Um, that's right. <laughs> so... Then the last game, season finale at Manheim Township. Day. We're going down to Nashville for that one. Do you, do you think um, Township is one of the, the, the better teams in Section One oh, this year? I mean, you know, they're they're at the point now. Mark has them where yeah, you know, they're going to compete year in and year out. They're not going to have a down team. They're just going to reload. Question. I mean, they've lost some really nice players, but you know they got a quarterback coming back that's pretty good, and uh, you know, they do a lot in the off season just like we do. It's the most out of them, so yeah. I mean, they're it's going to be a, they're going to be one of the top three teams really here. How about the we talked to you about this last year, but now it's even more at the forefront because of what's happened at the college ranks and because of what I believe either or NFHS and the PIAA has talked about the NIL stuff at the high school level. What do you make of NIL at high school student athletes? I don't like NIL at the college level. <laughs> I mean, when they say, oh, this university's making all this money, no, wait a minute. Okay, the university's making a lot of money, but they're paying, they're, they're spending a half a million dollars on 89, a piece on 89 players. You know, that's a lot of money. Uh, and th that doesn't even include all the transportation and the food and everything. I mean, they, you know, it's like, very expensive. Um, I just think it's creating too much professionalism. You know, let the colleges make their money so they, they you know, think about down the road, now that money that the college would have got is now going to be going to players, so the colleges aren't going to get as much advertising and everything money, so now, and the TV isn't going to get as much advertising rights and monies, so now maybe the colleges aren't going to get as much money, so maybe they're not going to be able to afford all the things they did before. You know, it's... I, I just, I don't like it at all at the college level. At the high school level, there's only a couple of kids that have that kind of notoriety of Michael Parsons. 
months or you know maybe both review the last year but even then they, we we talked to the PIAA how, who's who's going to police it all the, the coaches how am I going to know if somebody's giving people money you know basically all they said is it's legal to cheat legal to pay people you know I, I think it's a step in the wrong direction. It feels like they're opening up a can of, can of worms that they could have just kept closed. Yeah, and they don't know how to regulate it. So, I mean, you're not allowed to. It makes no sense. You're not allowed to. Local boosters are not allowed to sponsor the players. Right. Well, who's going to sponsor the players? Right. It can't be a, a you know, staff. You know, like Masano staff can't give them a car or, right. you know, they can't get free food at Dairy Queen or something like that. But... I guess Gatorade could, or you know, the national corporations can. But. Right, but then, like you say, you're talking about 0.1% of athletes that would ever have that kind of notoriety and fame that a national company would be sure. interested. So I guess they're saying, well, if you're big enough, you can take advantage of the identity you've established. But it just, also has to happen when they're juniors too, because otherwise, right, you know, they're going. Yeah, it's it's just I was really shocked when I saw a few weeks ago that they decided to basically make it okay with some stipulation. I know it was just the first read and it's got It's okay. Go, we're not going to regulate it though. You right here. Yeah, right. Well, we're going to come back and hit you. Yeah. <laughs> if you didn't do what we told you not, that we weren't going to tell you how to do it. Yeah. It's, it's a mess. It's a mess. But, um, how about, uh, looking at the players on your team this year, who, who do you see as being a, uh, an impact guy, um, you know, the Wilson tradition of the, the senior step up player, maybe overshadowed, uh, for the first two years, but now he's had a chance to shine. Is there anyone that jumps out that you think could really make a name for himself this year uh, in that senior class? I think uh, of the seniors that didn't play a whole lot last year, uh, Nick Krakota had a really nice offseason and has the potential to possibly be an impact player. Uh, Nate Capitano played a little at the beginning of the year, but then didn't play much towards the end. I think, you know, if he stays healthy, he could be an impact player. Those, those are two seniors that that jump out Cleveland Harding, who ran behind Jane Jones and Goose Leonard for two years. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, now it's his to shine and uh, has the tools to do it. Let's, let's hope he does. You know, I, I would say you want to be like uh, Elijah Morales a couple of years back. You know, I had to throw him through him off the team when he was a junior. Told me I had to do all these things for him to come back, came back, and was back of the year. First team all state. Yeah. Yeah. Like, who would have thought that? Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That we bring that up all the time. Um, not we don't want to put pressure on Cleveland, but we say it's been done before. Sure. There are examples out there, and not it's your turn. It's your yeah. chance. They yeah. Stand up. Uh, how about um, some underclassmen that you think are poised for for a big year that uh, that we should know entering this year? I think you know you know some of our receivers like Case and Valkavich could potentially have good years. Uh, quarterback situation is still unresolved, but you know, both of them look pretty good. You know, Adam Woods and uh, Tommy Hunsaker both look pretty good there. So and they're both will be juniors. They're both juniors, yeah. And then defensively, Brian McMillan, uh, Eddie Case. Uh, at this stage, until we put the pads on, it's really hard to say they're the rest of them. Right. Yeah. Sure. And you haven't done any hitting. You know, we're just a few days before the start of uh, those full pattern. We're just finishing heat week here. No, um, so it's tough to, to gauge. But how do you feel in relation to the last few years? 
where you're at with this team, you know, compared to previous off seasons. And do you have any expectations in your head of not necessarily win losses, but maybe the identity this team is creating? I think there's three places that are going to determine how good this football team is. Quarterback, because they both are doing some nice things, but they're both juniors and they're going to make mistakes. Right? Running back, because Cleveland hasn't been in the spotlight you know, yet. And then the trench, trenches, because we can't see a lot of that yet until the pads go on. How they're going to respond, um, how physical are they going to be, are they going to take control? So those are the three places that are going to make a break. We touched on it a little bit when I mentioned the, the Reading game and then the Tradition Club um, event coming up uh, for the Martin Luther King game on Friday the night, but the WFTC is um, welcoming back the championship team from fall 2002, um, which was my senior year, uh, so I've been pushing for that for the 20th anniversary. So we're excited to be welcoming back those players and, and coaches, um, but I just wanted to get you to have memories from that season, that 2002 season. Um, it, it, anything that jumps out, jumps to mind um, from 2002. Well, i got to separate one, two, and three now. I can, I can help you with that. Okay. <laughs> so 2002 was the uh, district championship loss to Central Dolphins. Oh, when the field goal got blocked. Or we didn't get to kick the field goal. We ran out of time. Okay. It was 35-33. Right. right. That, was that, that was that season. So. Yeah. Yeah, I know. We lost yeah, Central Dolphin on a blocked field goal the one year, too. Uh, that was 2011. Yeah. One three. Right. Wasn't that late? That's an 11. With, uh, I think that was the junior year of Dominic Moore. Yeah, the, the, the loss is sticking in my mind. The year doesn't, but the loss. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was the year, 2002 was the year that Central Dolphin had <laughs> an incredibly explosive offense. Yes. And I told Contafio that we're going to slow them down, but they had a real, they had a stud running back, they had stud receivers. Arden Bransford. Yeah, and they were just, yeah. I mean, and they were just good. And so the played pretty well, but they scored, I believe, two or three, three touchdowns in the first half. But they only had like 48 yards of offense because we threw two picks, I think, and had a fumble. And they got the ball in short fields on all of them, which was the exact opposite of making a drive the length of the right. Yes, it was. And then there was a very interesting halftime. Mm-hmm. Yes. Where one of the players, whose name will remain unmentioned, asserted himself at encouraging Cantafio to run the ball. So we came out second half. And um, the Rock. Desmond Boyd. Yeah. yeah unfortunately, Dean Millard uh, got injured during right. the game as well, starting safety. But uh, we had him on the ropes, and we had him fourth and 13, I believe, and we got uh, two uh, personal foul for two new players on the field. This number 12 was their personal protector when they, like, fake it. I forget the other guy that was in there when they did. So they lined up in a punt with their midfield, and I'm screaming 12's on the field, 12's on the field. So the defense is aware. I mean, we obviously. 
And Coach Contapio thought that we had too many men on the field, so he started calling the guys off. And I said, no, 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 and they sent him back on, and we ended up with 12 guys, because he kind of stepped into what he didn't really know was going on. But, and then they got a first down and a score, but it, even as it was, you know, we had, I think it was, uh, we went for two, was that the game we went yeah, for Yeah, so two? it was entering the fourth quarter, it was 35-14. And um, there was an onside kick recovery. There was some quick scores. And uh, we scored with, I forget what it was, a minute or under a minute left um, and went for two. Right. And didn't, didn't, didn't get it. It was 35 33, but got the ball back again. Right. And uh, was driving down the field and ran out of time. Thought, thought I believe it was the connection that happened all year, heading to Lajado, got out of bounds with a second to go. And it would have been it would have been a tough kick, and it was that was about the thirty-five or forty. Right. So it was a long kick, but, but Ricky had have... the leg for that. Yeah. Uh, we've seen him hit those before, but unfortunately, they didn't let that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I remember that game. Yeah, that's not necessarily <laughs> the highlight that I want to talk about, but uh, yeah, that's the one that stick, sticks out. But um, yeah, the team went was ten zero in the regular season and just blew by everyone except for maybe Hempfield was the only one that was a little uh, was close, but. Um, yeah, that was a that was a fun year. So I'm looking forward to having some of the guys come back and. That was Chad's junior. Year. That was Chad's junior. Year, yeah. So that was a fun year. So. My roommate from college, my best friend from college, at the game against me. After the game, he said, "I just want to know, you have the best quarterback in the state of Pennsylvania, and probably one of the best receivers in the state of Pennsylvania. Why'd your halfback throw the ball?" Yes, yeah. that I will coach the offense. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it didn't go as planned, but it was a thrilling game. And yeah, people, very exciting. People mention it all the time, and then I believe the next week Central Dolphin lost to Parkland, who went on to win the state championship. Yeah, they had that was Austin Scott, and yeah. we were to handle them because all Parkland had because they run wing T was Waggle. That was the only pass they had. Our, the way we play our defense, we could handle that. And uh, we could handle Austin Scott, but they get the opportunity. <laughs> yeah, we need to move on. <laughs> yeah, Jeff, do you have anything you want to jump in and ask? Um, no. You good? All right, well, then, Coach, our last thing for you for this interview, uh, we just want to know well, what's your message to the fans and community as you get to embark on uh, the 2022 season? I think that the... The interesting thing is, although COVID's not a thing of the past, it's still with us. You know, we're we're back to some sense of normalcy. You know, in off-season workouts and fan participation and uh, everybody being there. So I'm just hoping that everybody uh, gets caught up in the whole thing and, and realizes, hey, it's a new league. Uh, it can get really exciting. Let's get Friday nights cranked up and ready to go again. And you know, it's great for everybody. I mean, the, the little elementary kids run all over the place like they're crazy. You know that. <laughs> yeah, we know that. Both of you have to deal with that. The junior high kids, I don't know, they run all over the place. I mean, they're crazy, but they're a little bit more in touch with each other as opposed to the parents. The high school kids, super fans, get out there and go nuts. You know, the, all those long-time community support people, the, you know, 65, 70, 75-year-olds that are all... Wilson diehard fans, everybody, you know, hopefully comes back and things get, you know, the community gets back into it and we get back to normal because there's nothing like a Friday night 
when you got a big crowd in a good game. Yeah, that was mentioned by a few of the players yesterday when I spoke with them. Uh, players that didn't grow up in the Wilson system that have moved in uh, in the last few years. They said how different it was to be playing at Wilson in the front of the, the, the stadium with the, the capacity crowd and, and the youth and the alumni. It just was something that they weren't accustomed to. And they, they, they spoke very highly of the program and, and the fans. So, very good. I hope that's what we see. So, I hope. All right, Coach. I think we win. <laughs> yes. That's what we all want to see. And, uh, you'll get to talk to us if you win. So I know that's a highlight of every game for you. Uh, but, yeah, hopefully we're talking to you often this fall. We look forward to that and appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk with us. Well, thanks for all you do. It's, you know, it's great to have the, the media out there and, you know, keep the community involved and informed. All right. Well, thanks, Coach, and good luck. Thanks. All right, so that was our interview with Wilson football head coach Doug Doms, and I hope everyone enjoyed the interview series here with the coaching staff. Didn't get to everyone that we'd like to, but like I said, we, there's opportunities coming up with scrimmage next weekend, and obviously the games this fall, and we like to talk to a, a random assortment of individuals from coaches and, and players, and we will do that as often as possible. And like, like we said, hopefully uh, after each victory, uh, during the 2022 season, we'll get to talk with uh, with them more. So uh, that's it for the show t- tonight. A uh, little bit over an hour of interviews. But you don't have to wait long to watch us again. And you can see Justin and I live tomorrow night, Sunday, August 14th. We start the broadcast at 8.30 p.m. We'll do a little bit of an intro, go over some of that housekeeping and announcements at the beginning, and then we'll roll right into the senior player interviews. Again, nine senior players talked to me this week. We're going to broadcast those in two sets. First group of five, you kind of got a sneak peek of that here this evening, and then a second group of four. And like I said, there's another handful of guys that weren't able to make it that I hope to talk to um, and maybe have that on the show next Sunday, the 21st. But I think that's it for me tonight. So, again, thanks to our sponsors and thanks to all the Wilson football fans out there. I'm looking very much forward to the 2022 season, which kicks off in 13 days. So, for Justin Raffoff, I'm Joe Mays. And until next time, go Bulldogs. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Bulldog Hour. Want more Wilson football? Follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. Or visit www.bulldoghour.com. The Bulldog Hour is a feature program on jmnjrradio.com.